Talofalava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susanna Suiswiki. Coming up, Papua New Guineans struggle once again with fuel shortages. Also, every day, that's their lived experience living in material hardship. That's completely unacceptable. Pacifica children in New Zealand continue to live in poverty. And later... We don't talk about these things, and as a result, we lead statistics very negatively in sexual violence, sexual assault. A new Pacifica theatre show looks at developing healthy relationships. Fuel shortages continue to frustrate vehicle users in Papua New Guinea, more than a year since they first arose. The dominant supplier in the market, Puma Energy, sees a lack of access to enough foreign exchanges behind the issues they face bringing fuel into the country. Don Wiseman spoke to our PNG correspondent Scott Whitey about the latest shortages. So the latest has been in the last two weeks. Puma Energy stopped the use of its fuel cards. So there's a lot of people who use fuel cards, especially people like company executives, companies themselves that use fuel cards to ease the burden of financial transactions. So they've issued this statement saying that we're not going to honor the fuel cards anymore. So that's taken a whole chunk of customers away from them. Uh, And people have been left with, you know, no real understanding of what the situation is, what's going to happen, what the solution is. That's like one set of customers. The other set of customers has been the ongoing one. Ordinary people who commute from point A to point B. About a week ago, Puma Energy said that uh, there was four months of supply fuel in the country and that there was really no certainty that uh, the supply would continue. So that's put everyone into a panic mode. People have been rushing to Bowser's to refuel. And uh, yesterday in the morning, I saw uh, pictures out of Lane with the fuel shortage has been really critical and people have been lining up trying to get fuel. There's been no fuel. Yesterday also, I was in a taxi in Port Moresby and the taxi driver was basically telling me that uh, whenever there's fuel at a service station, that's where we line up and get fuel. We, we actually drove past a fuel station which was closed, uh, another one that was closed, manned by security. So that's the situation that's, that's happened over the past 10, 7 days. The airlines have also been severely affected. Air New Guinea has had to issue statements saying that flights have been cancelled, that we are trying to source new additional sources of fuel. Uh, to cover the shortfalls created by the absence of Puma Energy. So flights have suffered. People have been delayed for two days on Air New Guinea and the other airlines. Just three days ago, Air New Guinea issued a statement saying that uh, flights will resume. But, you know, the delays are still happening. And I, I believe that it's to do with both uh, maintenance issues and fuel shortages. Well, there's a lot in there. Let's just look at these fuel cards. When the fuel company says they're not go- no longer going to honour their fuel cards, what's the advantage to them in, that, in doing that? It basically means they, they don't supply any fuel anymore on credit over a period of a month to, to companies that have fuel cards. So it's, it's like a fuel credit card for companies who use them. So it's a whole chunk of credit customers out of the way. 
Yes, so Puma is financially suffering through this process. I, I can't really say. I mean, I'm not an expert on, on the Puma front. The company continues to blame it on its lack of access to foreign exchange? That is the uh, official line, that they don't have access to finance uh, foreign exchange, uh, well, sufficient foreign exchange, and that the central bank isn't releasing the amount that they need. There are also other allegations that are being circulated. I am unable to prove whether they, they are true or not, and it is related to Puma Energy's parent companies, uh, the banks that are linked to Puma Energy and BSP. So th- those are, at this stage, still allegations that need to be proven. There are other fuel suppliers, though, in the country. What sort of a market share do they have? Puma Energy has a very large market share. So for Puma Energy to just withdraw its services at any time, it has a huge, huge impact on, on everyone. Uh, literally everyone, including, you know, the household, basic household. All right. The people of PNG have been going through this for more than a year, these issues with fuel. They'll be getting browned off, no doubt, but philosophical as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, that there's a an increasing number of ordinary Papua New Guineans who are just sick of it. So many have gone onto social media basically saying that the government's not doing enough and that Puma should come out and explain what's happening. Uh, and if Puma can't deal with the situation, then the government should find another fuel source. Pacifica children continue to experience some of the highest rates of poverty in New Zealand. Child poverty statistics for the year ending June 2023, released by Statistics New Zealand, show that despite the previous government's push to eliminate poverty, there's been no improvement. Alicia Foon spoke with Chief Children's Commissioner Claire Ekmad. I'm really concerned in this latest data that we see around child poverty rates in Aotearoa, New Zealand, that for the first time since 2018, we're actually seeing poverty rates for children increasing across three of those main measures. And the measure that I'm particularly concerned about is the material hardship measure. So we've seen this um, year in these statistics a jump in the percentage of children who are experiencing material hardship. That means going without six or more of the 17 items that are regarded as essential um, to get by in everyday life. Things like having access to fresh fruit and vegetables, being able to see the doctor, having warm clothes and shoes. Um, And so that rate, we've seen that go up from 10.5% in 2022 to 12.5% in these latest statistics. But for Pacifica children, that rate is even higher, sitting at 28.9% of Pacific children. That's 28.9% of Pacifica children who every day, that's their lived experience living in material hardship. That's completely unacceptable and we must focus attention on that. That is the highest out of any other group. That's correct. That is the highest out of um, all groups of children um, that these statistics are broken down into, yes. The previous government campaigned on the basis of shifting these statistics about creating a better life for children in poverty. Do you believe that uh, they delivered on their promises? And what is your call to the uh, current coalition government? It was a huge and momentous um, success that the 
last government actually put into place this um, child poverty reduction framework focuses attention on reducing child poverty rates. And we have seen that over the last few years that child poverty rates have been trending downwards. But now what we need to see is continued and concerted political effort and will that commits to reducing child poverty year on year. You know, I'm really pleased that this new government, um, during the election period, the National Party anyway, made that commitment to halving child poverty by 2028. We must continue on that track. And what I'm calling on the government now to do is to actually commit to making reducing child poverty in our country a project of national significance. Because, you know, in my role, I hear from children and young people in including Pacifica children and young people, they say to me, please, let's bring this poverty rate down because it's affecting our lives, it's impacting on our dreams and our potential. So it's incumbent on the government and all of us to work hard to turn that around. How can we on the ground help and support, I guess, all families that are struggling, but particularly uh, Pacifica children because statistics are showing that they are worse off. It, it is heartbreaking to see that there's been little to no change. I think a lot of people would agree with that. And I agree with that. Uh, and, you know, my heart goes out to these children who are living in households where very often the reality is that parents, mum and dad, um, caregivers, they're working really hard, but they're often working in work that is paid at a low wage. So we need to continue to build that collective momentum and those calls for a shift to those wages. We need to lift our minimum wage up to a living wage so that households with children can actually get by and not have this burden of stress that sits on them. I also want to pay tribute to the many incredible Pacifica and other community organisations who are out there serving children and families every day, making a difference in their lives. We need that work to keep going, but it is hard work. And then the other thing I would say is we need to maintain that momentum on Pacifica people-led solutions for Pacifica children and families. You know, things like uh, Tamaiti Ole Moana, the Moana Connect 10-year action plan that was published last year. It makes really clear those things that we need to be focusing in on if we are going to address this issue of poverty affecting Pacifica children in our country. And you raise some important work in organisations, groups that are on the ground uh, trying to make a difference. But when you see statistics like this and little to no change or increasing poverty in some of these measures, it, I can only imagine it be quite discouraging for people. How do you speak to these groups when statistics like this come out? It is very discouraging that we are not seeing the traction and the progress that we need to see. What I remind our communities of is the incredible strength that sits within them. We have seen that over these very difficult past few years with the pandemic, and we need that to continue. But at the same time, I'm very clear with our Pacifica communities and with wider communities who are wrapping their support around children and tamariki every day, um, as their independent advocate, I am continuing to make those calls for the structural 
system level changes that we need to see. And right now, when it comes to this issue of addressing child poverty, including for Pacifica children, I'm calling on the government to use this opportunity of these statistics that really focus the mind on the urgency to make wise decisions, to invest in children now, implement evidence-based policy, listen to our communities, to families, to whānau, to children themselves, um, and heed their calls. Let's take action that's going to actually help children, including Pacifica children, that experience their full potential every day and to actually dream those big dreams that they should all be having beyond dreaming simply of things like having enough food on the table in a less stressful home because of that grinding impact of poverty. A Cook Islands-born playwright is generating conversations around healthy relationships and safe sex in Pacific communities with her upcoming production, Pane Provocations. Tehere Nui Koteka began scripting the play at 19 years old upon moving to New Zealand to study theatre. Six years later, the proud Cook Islander is looking forward to the show's debut next week in Wellington. Tiana Haxton reached out to Miss Koteka. Pane Provocations translates to provocations about sex in Cook Islands, Māori. Um, the play itself is really fun. It follows the entangled relationships of six Pacific youths. Um, they're, still, they're, they're still really young. And through these relationships, revelations about sexuality, self-care, religion and community are discovered. Um, it's a really fun play because all of the characters are so different from each other. And it's really fun to see how they change and what faces they wear in their various relationships and yeah I'm really excited for it it's going to be super fun and then um you know why is this an important story for you to tell um Pacific Islanders we still look at sex and relationships as like very taboo and um as a result we don't talk about things like we don't talk about what makes a relationship healthy we don't talk about how to care for yourself in those relationships, whether that be within your vairua, your spirit, um, within your mind, or whether it's physical, like physically. Um, we don't talk about these things. And as a result, we lead statistics very negatively in sexual violence, sexual assault, spousal abuse, STIs, teen pregnancy. Um, and I think if we were just being a bit more open in our discussion about it, if our youth felt more comfortable to ask questions, then we might not have those statistics. And this play is really just my way of trying to get those conversations started. You've also got Pacific Islanders acting in it. And if you want to tell us a little bit about that that scene, you know, having Pacific people being the faces of Pacific stories is always important. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yes, Pane Provocations, I say, is created by Brown Youth for Brown Youth. Since its inception, not only with me being the writer, but um, as I've been workshopping it throughout the last five or so years, I've always had Pacific writers, um, Pacific actors, Pacific dramaturgs in the room with me to kind of ensure, I guess, that the story that we're putting out there is authentic to the Pacific experience. And I'm really fortunate. I have a real stacked cast um, this time for Pundit Provocations. I've got Roy Iro, um, Te Hamama Hohua, and Poitiare Tararo, who bring to life all six of these characters. 
amazing. And uh, it's coming out shortly uh, and then next week for for Wellington. You want to tell us when and where and how people can, can attend? Of course. I would love to tell you that. That's the most important question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, Planet Provocations debuts in Wellington at Te Oaha from the 6th to the 9th of March. We have four evening shows at 6 p.m. and one matinee at 3.30 p.m. And people can find tickets on the New Zealand Fringe website. And you're also heading back home with the story. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, I'm following our debut season here in Wellington. We travel to Rarotonga to participate and to perform at the Cook Islands' first ever Pride Week in April, um, which is super exciting because this play is written for youth and I, um, for our takatapui whanau out there. So it's really, I feel very privileged to have been invited to participate in Pride this year. Our first ever one in the Cook Islands, it's going to rock. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Spotify, Apple and iHeartRadio. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till far three forward.